Praise the Lord. You know, church, we've gone through a very busy week, amen, in the hustings and all that. So whatever and whoever, whichever party or whoever you vote for, it's time right now to put everything behind and trust that what we have is God's will. Okay? Amen? It's time to pray for your leaders, time to honour, amen, and time to stop complaining. And all the people said, all right, join me right now as we bring our leaders in prayer before God. God is the only one who can govern the affairs of the nations. In fact, the Bible tells us, God actually tells us what's going to end, how the whole thing is going to end, how this world will have two major empires. And we are about to enter into a new era where there's going to be a revived Roman Empire, where there's going to be a United States of Europe. And whatever that means, it doesn't mean that America has to go down, but that's in Bible prophecy. God gave the rule of this earth, where God wanted a theocracy, where He would govern the affairs of the nation through this nation of Israel. And that's the reason why God raised up kings in Israel. And God's choice was David, not Saul. However, the people wanted Saul. But God had His choice finally. And when David sat on the throne, God promised that David's throne will be forever. And the whole idea that God's plan for mankind is that from Israel will come forth wisdom that will bless mankind. Wisdom, there will be all kinds of breakthroughs in medicine, uh, scientific breakthroughs for the betterment of human life. So right now what we see is that of all the Nobel Prize winners, the Jewish people are actually the ones, even though they are a minority race, they are the ones that have won more Nobel Prize for science, for medicine, for um, different fields, numerous fields. And yet, of all the races in the world, the Jewish people have done it. But let me tell you this, they've done it in a, in a fallen state. God's dream was for them to, to really do it in the fullness of the blessing from Almighty God. And from Israel, it's not that God favors Israel in a special way. God wanted the whole world to be blessed. And remember that finally when God loves, God so loved the world, not Israel. By the way, as I speak, Israel is celebrating their new year, Rosh Hashanah, today. And God wanted to bless all the nations through Israel so that all the nations would come to Israel. We have a sample of this, a sampling of this in Solomon, David's son, where kings and queens from all over the earth would come to him to hear the wisdom of Solomon in his mouth. Solomon became the richest man that ever lived. I, I did a, a, a teaching once on wisdom, and I talk about uh, how Solomon governed, and, and we, we even broke down his wealth, how much he's worth. He's still the richest man that ever lived. And built God the most expensive building, not the star. <laughs> All right? The most expensive temple that ever existed. He typifies the millennial rule of the greatest son of David, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But then Israel's kings that went on, the descendants of David became evil and worshipped idols. And God, betimes, God would send prophet after prophet after prophet to tell them, do not worship idols, do not worship other gods, but they would do it. Uh, one of the kings was so evil. In fact, quite, quite a few of them, the kings of Judah, and these are sons of David, his descendants. They became so evil that they would uh, sacrifice their children into the altar of Molech. Molech was, if you go to Israel, you'll find the Valley of Kidron near the Gethsemane. And that's where they would put the idol with his hands outstretched. And in his mouth is a huge uh, gaping hole of fire cauldron, fire burning all the time. So what they'll do is that when you read, you read in the Bible, they'll make their sons pass through the fire. What it meant was that they'll throw the babies. They'll put the babies when it's red hot and the arms are blazing red. They'll put the babies on the arms and roll them into the fire as a worship to the god Molech. And God told the king, stop doing this. This is what the nations are doing. And God said that I want to be your God and God is a compassionate God. God is a loving God. Can I have a good amen? Amen. God doesn't want child sacrifice. And time and time again, Prophet Jeremiah came on the scene. Isaiah before that, Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Time and time again, God told them. And finally, God says, enough is enough. I'm going to send Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Hence began the first world empire, Babylon. And then we have a statue that I've showed all of you during our midweek service. The statue that um, Daniel saw in a vision. The golden head is Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Then came the Middle Persian, because other, other Babylonian is Middle Persia. Amen. The story of 300, the Greeks and all that, fighting against the Persian. That was the Middle Persian time. Then the Greece was actually a breakaway, small, small, small villages and all that. And after Middle Persian, who conquered Persia? The Greeks. Even though they are breakaway, God brought them all under a young man called Alexander. And it's all prophesied in the book of Daniel. Then after, after his death, he died, a, he died very young. And his, uh, the Bible says he will break away into four empires. And among his four generals, they broke the world empire into four, four quarters. All right? Then after that was the Romans that rose up. And Jesus was born during the Roman rule. And the Bible says that the Romans are the last one. But there'll come a, a, a kingdom that is not built with human hands and it will destroy all the other kingdoms. And that's the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're waiting, we are waiting for that to happen. Amen. Meanwhile, what are we going to see? And what we are seeing is the United States of Europe rising up. Stronger and stronger. Amen. And how Singapore is going to play a part, I think it's very significant that uh, God has ordained the government that we have. The Bible says that the powers that be are ordained of God. Let every soul be sub be submit, uh, submissive or subject to the higher powers, referring to the government of that land. When Paul wrote that, it was the Romans that he was talking about. And he's telling the people of God, but of course, he's writing for people of all times, these Christians of all generation. Amen. But when you think about it, the context there was the Romans. And the Romans can be very cruel, can be very vicious, even though they built great roads all right, and, and amazing buildings. All right, they are known for their cruelty. All right? Our government is not cruel. Okay? I know a few of you have bad opinions, but uh, it's time to put a stop to that. And let's, let's pray for our nation. Amen? Father, we thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus for this past election, Father. We thank you, Father. You've gathered the nation together to, to let their voice be heard. 
And Father, I thank you that the government that we have right now is established of you. We ask, Father God, as we lift our Prime Minister and his cabinet before you, we ask for your wisdom to be granted them. Even the Solomonic wisdom, Father, to govern the affairs of the land with equity, integrity, and righteousness, Father. We ask, Father in heaven, that your love will envelop them and protect them and protect their families, Father, uh, from all harm, from stress, from danger, from ill health. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, O giver of life and health, grant to our leaders good health and many, 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 many years to come, Father. And all those years be years of good days for Singapore and years of health and life. Father, your word says your righteousness exalts the nation. Let your righteousness exalt this nation. We pray, Father, that we will all live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, Father. And Father, we pray, Father, for the people of Singapore, that there'll, be, there'll come a unity, Father. A unity of, of uh, uh, being one people, Father. In the name of Jesus, let your gospel have free reign in this nation. Even the message of your love for sinners in Christ. Thank you, Father in heaven. We lift up our leaders before you and we ask in the name of Jesus that you safeguard them. Grant them your wisdom. Grant them your favor. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we ask and all the people said, Amen. You have prayed, and now stand by them, okay? Amen. Not everything's going to be perfect decision, but you know what? Uh, in the Bible, like a married uh, couple, you know, the, the, the Bible says the man is the head. It does not mean tyranny. All right? The man is the head does not mean bossism. The man being the head means he's the one that has final accountability before God. Amen. You know, he's like a, 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 a person who is uh, an officiator, all right? A facilitator. You know, if, if you have a group and you have a facilitator, the one will tell you, okay, you have five minutes. Okay, your time is up. He's a facilitator of the family, all right? His position is that of a leader. He controls things, amen? That doesn't mean he's more equal, he's bigger, he's higher, he's greater. No, 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 all right? Men and women, we are, we are together on equal standing before God. You know, God made you a woman, amen, to function in roles that men cannot. And one reason I suspect that God made you is because Adam was a bit Adam. You know, when God told him to eat from the tree of life in the center of the garden, he never, there's no record that he ever took of the tree of life, okay? So he was, he was hovering around the center of the garden and, and, and God forbid them to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but not the tree of life. And then God, God made the woman, Amen. And the woman is more intuitive. Man is more logical. Okay? So the thing is that the woman will inspire the man towards supposedly the tree of life. But then she, she, she also listened to the wrong voice. And as a result, man partook from the wrong tree. Okay? Hence the fall. No one will deny that man has fallen. All man has fallen. Now, we all give the excuse today that no one is perfect. It's wonderful, but have you ever thought that, that when you buy it, you go to an electronical uh, goods store or whatever, you buy your television, do you expect the salesman to tell you, oh, there's a fault here, yeah, but no TV is perfect? <laughs> Would you buy it? No, there's something inside you, they will not accept it, am I right? Am I right to say that? 
So why, why, why is it that we say no one is perfect today? Because no one is perfect. It's true, no one is perfect. Okay, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me, okay? I, I, I'm in agreement, no one is perfect. But why is no one perfect? Ever thought of all, of all creation, the highest creation, man, is not perfect. We have fallen. We have to admit that we have fallen. Amen. Our, expect- our expectation is for perfection. But now we have fallen. So God will not judge man. All right, people say, what about those far, far reaches, you know, all the far out uh, lands and, and uh, those uh, places where the gospel has not gone? Let me tell you this. There are men, these are proven, missionaries who have gone there, and there are men, tribal leaders, when they were asked a question about morality, what is right and what is wrong. You know what a tribal leader said? Never heard the gospel. Never heard the Ten Commandments. Never heard of from a civilized man. The missionary was the first one in that village, in the darkened corners of, I forgot where, Congo or whatever. It's very, uh, very, very deep in the, in the heartland of Congo. And um, I remember reading about this and the missionary asked the tribal leader, what is right and wrong? You know what the leader says? What is wrong is to kill another man. What is wrong is to take his wife. What is wrong is not being truthful to your word. Hey, he's talking the Ten Commandments. Are you listening? And the Bible says that the law in Romans is written in the hearts of every man. Every man, his conscience knows what is right and what is wrong. So Israel received, yeah, the two stones. Amen. They was put in the Ark of the Covenant. But the work of the law was written in every man's conscience. So at the end of the day, if you say that it's unfair for these people to be judged and all that, let me tell you, God will not judge them based on whether they reject Jesus Christ. God will judge every man based on the light they have towards their conscience. Are they leading up to the light of their conscience? Are they leading up to what they know is right and wrong? Because the Bible says at the end, the books will be open and every man will be judged based on what he has done. Have you noticed that? Yes, rejection of Jesus Christ uh, uh, is going to kill it because uh, He's the only way out. He's the Savior. But what I'm trying to say is that the Bible does say that every man will be judged based on what you have done. If you say, God judged me based on what I have done, God says, that's how I'm going to do it. Regardless of whether it is a, a, a system of belief you have about God, whether it's that you don't believe in God, but you go by your conscience, then God will judge you based on how far you live up to the dictates of your conscience. And then we realize everyone needs a savior. Everyone needs a savior because everyone is lost. Okay? There's something about God. If someone is crying out in the deep recesses of a jungle area where the gospel is not touched and he looks up to heaven and he cries out to God, God will send someone to him. We know this in the Bible, in the book of Acts, a guy called Cornelius, he was giving money to the poor, he was helping the poor, he was, giving, uh, uh, he was helping people, and his heart was reaching out to God, but he didn't know the way of salvation. God sent someone to him to preach the gospel. Amen? Let me tell you this, God is more just, compassionate than our minds can ever fathom. Okay, are you ready for God's word today? All right, praise the Lord. Let's go right into God's Word. And I want to answer some questions that people have, uh, especially pertaining to the law. Uh, there's a lot of ignorance still. There are people who, are, who think that they are doing God's service, writing you know, things and, 
and trying to influence people or, or preaching or saying things that they know nothing about the law. The Bible says the law was written for the unrighteous men. Amen. Like I said just now, everyone knows what's right, everyone knows what's wrong. In their conscience, they know. They have to suppress that to live by a different lifestyle. They have to suppress their conscience. When God gave the law to man, God never gave the law as a main agenda. I said God never gave the law as His main agenda. God's main agenda is a relationship with Him based on grace. The same one that He had with Abraham. Abraham wasn't a perfect man. But God told Abraham, all right, Abraham, you know, I want you to leave your country and go here and have a relationship with me. All right, and Abraham just followed God. It was not the Ten Commandments. It was friendship with God. Abraham was the person in the Bible that God says is a friend. My friend. God calls Abraham my friend. In the book of James in the New Testament, it says Abraham was a friend of God. How many like to be a friend of God? Amen. Amen. God's friend. God confides in you everything. Praise the name of Jesus. And let me just say this to you. Being a friend... That, that he's not even cognizant of the Ten Commandments because it was not yet given. The Ten Commandments were given about 400 over years after the time of Abraham. And yet Abraham walked with God. So for those who insist that without the Ten Commandments, we cannot walk with God, let me tell you this, Abraham was a friend of God. And Abraham obeyed God in ways that, that would put to shame the average Christian today. Finally, when God says, uh, bring your son to a mountain and sacrifice him, he was willing to even do that. Amen. Let me tell you this. By the way, God did not take his son. All right, it was a test. But the thing was this. He loved God. He was a man of faith. And the Bible says very clearly, believers, that when God gave the Ten Commandments, God knew that man could not. But man did not know he could not. So God had to give them the law to show that they cannot. God did not give the law for men to keep. God gave the law for men to know sin by. Are you listening? In fact, in Romans 5, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Now, the last time I preached on the last line, but let me just show you the first line. Moreover, the law entered. The first part there, the law entered. Now, you don't have to be a Greek scholar. You can just find a good uh, concordance and look it up and look at a Greek word, all right? There, there are many of PC study Bibles now. You can look up the word, the law entered, the word entered. And I challenge any of you, look at the word entered. The word entered is actually to come in privately, to come in by stealth. Amen. It's not God's main agenda. The law came in by the sight. God's main agenda is grace. Amen. God brought the children of Israel before the Ten Commandments that He gave on Mount Sinai, and God would bring them there. It's one of their stopping uh, uh, posts at Mount Sinai. But when God brought them out, the Bible tells us they were worshipping idols. Many of them were in Egypt worshipping the idols of Egypt. And yet when they cried out to God, God sent them Moses, a deliverer. And then the Bible tells us God brought them to the Red Sea, not because they kept the Ten Commandments. It's not yet given. God, gave, God brought them out by the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant of grace. Amen. And then they, three days later, they found themselves at the bitter waters of Marah. They complained again. And God didn't kill them for complaining. Amen. God, God poured out what? Or rather, God showed Moses a piece of wood, which is the cross. You put in the bitter waters, it became sweet. They drank it. They were okay for a few days. And then they went on again. And they complained, now there's no food. 
Instead of raining judgment, God rained bread, manna from heaven. So it seems like every fresh murmuring brought forth fresh manifestations of God's grace. Because at that period of time, they were not under law, they were under grace. Now, does that mean God approved of their behaviour? That God liked their behaviour? No, no. The dealing of God with them is by grace. But if they, they stayed under grace, grace would change them. The goodness of God will lead them to repentance. And that's my belief, people. Amen. But there are forces today that will not allow people to be under grace. They will say, you must, you must. They put a law straight on them and destroy them and put them in a place. You see, the law did not, even, even the law entered, what happens? Does, does it mean the law came in? Everything is good. Now people know what's right and wrong. They, they will do the right and shun the wrong. Look at it. The law entered that the offense might be lessened. People abound. Sometimes I wonder people come against this. Can you read? <laughs> the law did not come in. All right, so that holiness would abound. It came in so that the offense might abound. But why, why, why would God want to, to bring up the offense? Because man doesn't know how bad he is until he tried to be holy. Hmm? Come on. If there is a person who is very, very callous, you know, as long as he's sitting down, and all of you are sitting down, as long as he's sitting down, you know, he won't break anything, okay? Maybe he'll rip the, the, the threads off the chair, but the moment you put a place a demand on him, he gets up, all right? He, as he gets up, his elbow hits the guy on the right. Amen? His knee jerks the, the, the guy on the left. And then he breaks something on his way here. Amen? And then he stumbles and he falls to the floor. You do not know how clumsy he is until there's a demand. But does that mean that the demand made impart to him the clumsiness? No, the demand revealed the clumsiness. So more demands, more clumsiness. So the law brings out man's sin. Are you listening? Galatians chapter 3, it says this, What purpose then does the law serve? This is a question I want to ask everybody. All right, those, of, those of you who hear, sometimes your friend telling you, you know, uh, this idea is, is a dangerous doctrine. Okay, let me ask you, what is the purpose of the law? What does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Now, what does that mean? Many people don't even understand. It was added because of transgressions. The word added, this word here, prostiphemy. This word means to annex, to add alongside, to annex. You know what's to annex? That means you, you add to the main agenda. You add something. It was added to the main agenda. What's the main agenda that God had? Grace. It was added. Just now, the law entered. That word there is prosekomai, which is the word coming by stealth. The same word is used when the Apostle Paul was describing false brethren that came in by stealth to observe our liberty. Same word is used, parisgomai. And here is prostiphemy, which is the word annexed. To, the law was, was annexed to grace. Why? Because of transgression. The word because of is so that people will see sin as a transgression. As long as the, there's no law, it is not a, it's not a transgression. It is a sin. We have sinned, but we have not transgressed. Let me explain. If you go to a country, 
where you know it, uh, it is wrong to drive 60, 60 kilometers an hour, all right? <laughs> and and you, you, you transgress that. Now, now, because there's a law there, you have transgressed. You are a transgressor. But before you were a transgressor, you were a sinner. Sin is in us. But the law was added to make sin a transgression, a trespass. Do you understand that? Amen? It was added to show man this is a trespass. This is a transgression. If there's no law, doesn't mean there's no sin in man. There is sin, but it is not a transgression. So the law is to show how sinful we are, not how righteous you are in Christ. Can I have a good amen? Now we come to the question, are there no laws? Are there, the Bible says very clearly for sin, Romans 6.14, for sin shall not have dominion over you because you are not under law but under grace. People, we are not under law, we are under grace. And, and you can't tell me this law, under the law here, is referring to uh, 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 killing of uh, sacrificial animals uh, or ritualistic because, or ceremonial. It is not because the, the Romans 6 goes on to Romans 7. It tells you, Paul says, you are dead to the law by the body of Christ. And the next few verses, he says that, uh, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not lust. Very clear, that the, except the law had said, that is the 10th commandment. In fact, it is the 10th commandment, the last one. The last one is the tail, that, like a scorpion, got Paul. Paul could have kept the rest, he felt, except for the last one. And most people, in fact, everyone cannot keep the last one. They can don't kill, they can, but they want to kill. Sometimes, as they're driving down the road, they wish that a person has an accident <laughs> for cutting off in front of him like that. They, they, they might not commit adultery, but they lust for the woman. Nobody will know one except God. And that's why God doesn't measure the way men look at men. God's standard is amazing. It's perfection or else. So those who preach grace actually have an awesome respect for God's law. It is perfection or else. Those who preach we can keep God's law has no respect for God's holiness because they bring down God's holiness to man's level, man's definition. Are you listening, people? And Galatians 3 drops down to say, at one time, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. The word tutor is pedagogue. Pedagogue, during the time of the Romans, and this was written during the time of the Romans, the Romans are a wealthy family. They have a, a, a pedagogue. A pedagogue is a man who, who, will, who will take care of his son's welfare. As a young boy is growing up, the pedagogue will teach him how to uh, 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 do exercise, how to build his muscles. He will teach him um, mathematics. He will teach them uh, uh, geometry. And, and they're quite advanced, you know, the Romans, in many of these studies, he'll, 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 he'll be the tuition teacher. He'll be the school. He'll teach him physics as well. He'll teach him uh, uh, the ways of uh, 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 the world. All right? It's all under a pedagogue. He's a guardian. Don't do this. Don't do that. He tells the young boy, but once, the Bible says, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Understand? The whole idea is to bring us to a place of maturity, to Christ. But after faith has come, Christ is where we are justified by faith. After faith has come, we are no longer under a pedagogue, under that tutor. That means what? We have done our part. It's a very sad thing to see a 30-year-old man still under a pedagogue what to eat, what not to eat. 
to have a fit body. In those days, in the Greek culture as well as the Roman culture, having a body like my body here is really something, a specimen, you know what I'm saying? No, I'm just teasing, okay? Because Pastor Lawrence is not around, so I'm just uh, milking it. Okay, so the thing is this, all right? In that age, in that culture, in that day, it's so important what they eat, how they, how they sleep, when they sleep. Amen? The pedagogue will tell them this. The law does that. But once faith has come, we are no longer, can you read? We are no longer under. We are no longer. We are no longer under. So has faith come? Have we been justified by faith? So now I'll answer the question for the message today. The question is, are there no commandments in the New Testament? No, there are. There are. And our Lord Jesus Himself said, I'm going to go right now to John. 1 John 3, verse 20. Let me read through the entire thing and then you'll have an idea where some confusion comes in. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And we all agree with that, right? Amen? You know, one thing about the messages that I preach that's based on Scripture, I do my best, all right? But sometimes I guess my best isn't good enough, you know, because some people still don't understand. But the thing is this, my, my, you see, you must understand my heart. My heart is not to go out there. People have this idea, they try to portray me as someone who is out to give license to sin and that kind of thing. If you read the Bible carefully, the law is the strength of sin. So if someone is preaching the law, you, you ought to be suspect. Not someone of grace. So why, why am I preaching grace? Because I'm somebody, years ago when I was young, I still remember uh, as a teenager, how I was oppressed with thoughts that I have committed the unpardonable sin. Somehow this thought came in, I was reading a Christian book and I, I, and I had this belief that I committed the unpardonable sin. Okay, I went to my, my leader at the time, an elder in the church, and he told me that it's possible for a Christian to commit that sin. So I said, I'm that Christian. And the more I believe I committed the unpardonable sin, the more I had bad thoughts about God. I don't know why this is so. The more I believe I did that, and, and I began to even resent God. I didn't want to be in His presence, yet I cannot leave His presence because I'd want to go to hell. You know? Yet I know that God is the blesser. If I don't go to God, I won't get blessed. And then yet, I am afraid to go to God because I'm afraid that He might, might take away my life, you know? And uh, I, I wasn't sure. I even did witnessing in Orchard Road. I'll go down the Orchard Road and pass out tracks. And every time someone tells me thank you and all that, I say, I'll, I'll see you in heaven, but you won't. No, you'll, see, uh, you'll be in heaven, but you'll see me in hell. <laughs> I really believe I'd lost my salvation. I tried my best to confess every sin that I can. I can understand Christians who never confess their sins all the time because if they believe that one unconfessed sin can keep you out of fellowship with God, I believe that even unbelief, even exaggeration, when you're talking to someone, you exaggerate, all right? I felt that I've lied. I have to stop then there and I have to confess. I can understand people who say that, never mind, this kind of thing God can forget. Only what God convinced me to confess, I confess. I can understand that. I don't believe God grades on the curve. I think that uh, if confession of sin, unconfessed, if one unconfessed sin will put me out of fellowship, then I can't afford to be out of fellowship. I remember going to national service and running and hating the PTI, the physical instructor, all right? He was yelling and, and, and calling my, my, my parents' names and, and, you know, he doesn't even know my parents, you know, and he's, <laughs> and he's yelling and he's shouting, not, not just me, everybody else, right? You know, and, and we are sweating, we are, we are hurting, our muscles are 
aching, we have not had enough sleep and all that. And again, you know, the worst part is, is breaking down your, 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 you know, what, what value that you have, all right? What humanity that's left, every strip of you was, was ripped apart. And all my thoughts came out with bitterness towards that person. I wish he would drop, bless, you know, I, I don't want to say what. You know, I, I, and all the bitter thoughts. And straight away, I, then I remembered I was a Christian. <laughs> but I'm too tired to confess. I'm running up a hill, Pengkang Hill. It's not easy to confess. And while you're running up, you don't even have a breath to breathe, let alone talk or even whisper. So I did my best. Even though running, I was saying, forgive me for thinking that thought, you know. Because if I believe, if I, and I believe, I believe, I don't know about you, but I believe that one unconfessed sin will put me out of fellowship with God. And I can't afford during national service to be out of fellowship with God. I need His help. But I, I bought this idea, one unconfessed sin will put you out of fellowship. So I, I confess as much as I can. And one night in my bunk, I was in my bed, I wasn't asleep. And my friends were outside near the drain where the bunk was. They were gathered there and they were talking. They're talking about me. And they said, have you noticed this guy? He mutters under his breath. <laughs> then the other guy said, oh, don't make fun of him. Lah. It's his religion. Yeah, but quite sad, huh? Talking all the time, you know? <laughs> all of a sudden, I had a little glimpse, a picture of me, all right, and my testimony. Where is the joy unspeakable? Where is the peace that passes understanding? What kind of testimony am I showing my friends? Where is the favor of God? And I told myself, something is very wrong. So if you want to criticize me thinking that, you know, Pastor Prince just preached a, a message where, you know, he doesn't know the effect on people. You're looking at a person who believes so much, wanted to be perfectly holy. Somebody who really want to walk right with God. Somebody who really want to confess every sin that he knows compared to Christians around me who don't even confess. And I'm wondering why. You're looking at the man. I nearly lost my mind. Some people dispute that. Really lost, really, they say. But <laughs> I, I, I went, <laughs> I, I would have terrible dreams and I would go to, uh, you know, this deliverance minister and he would say, you got demons inside you. That's why you're thinking this thought. So I said, cast the demons out. He yell, 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 yell. Tongues came out. And then, and then he didn't want to do, he called Angel Gabriel, Michael. I, I summoned, this guy was very famous for deliverance in Singapore many years ago. And I won't mention his name, but he, the end, he, you know, he commanded, uh, uh, you know, the demon come out. No demon came out, but tongues came out. And, 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 and he's from the, the persuasion that tongues have ceased. So he said, this is a demon tongue. He said, I call upon Michael the archangel to bind this demon. So I guess Michael came down. Then after Michael came down, the tongues got even more fluent. <laughs> and he was a famous minister. He, he, he had to take a break. Imagine me. I'm the victim, you know. And the minister had to take a break. He went to take a break. Then his fellow minister looking around, the guy who was there all the time, the guy whispered to me, do you know just now when you were saying, speaking in tongues, this was his helper. He said, when you're praying in tongues just now, you said the word Shekinah. I said, what is that? In those days, I didn't know what Shekinah was. Shekinah means God's glory. Yeah. Then he ran off. <laughs> in case his pastor found him, you know. 
So I was very, very confused. I was very, very, do I have a demon or the Holy Spirit? I, I cannot understand that. You know, so I went for help, people. I really went for help. If you think I need deliverance, I went for it. The best in the land. <laughs> Do you understand why I write the books that I write today? Can you understand why I preach the messages that I preach today? Can you understand why lives are transformed? Because many people are not living where they, they, these people are saying they can keep the law. They're not living there anymore. We tried that, doesn't work. We, we tried that, we bought the t-shirt, you know, doesn't work. <laughs> Tell you what works. A brother. This is a brother from Singapore. For five years, I was involved in a relationship that I knew was wrong. And I was so burdened by guilt. Now, this is not a, he wasn't doing this when he was attending our church, Okay. I was so burdened by guilt that I eventually ended the relationship. But the feelings of guilt and condemnation continued to hang over me and I didn't know how God could forgive me. The following week, I visited New Creation Church with a friend. I heard Pastor Prince teach that all our sins, now this is how dangerous it is. Pastor Prince preached that all our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. You know, when Jesus died, you know how long ago was that? 2,000 years ago. None of you were in the born. You haven't even sinned yet. So if your future sins are not forgiven, finish. You are finished. You better believe your future sins are forgiven. So when Jesus died, all, right, all our sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. Now, will this preaching, which is preaching the truth, will this preaching produce licentiousness? Let's read on. So I heard that Pastor Prince teach that all our sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. Don't forget, he was in the five-year immoral relationship. This man. This was such a revelation. Christ's death on the cross was a finished work. When I heard that, I felt the burden of guilt and condemnation lift. But more importantly, I also felt God's love for me once again. I began to pray every day. I also started reading devotions and partook of the communion regularly. In time, I began to understand how the grace of God helps us to lead a godly life without having to put in a lot of effort. You see, it's still a godly life. It produced a godly life. Thereafter, I saw how the Lord pours favor into my life. I began a serious relationship with a friend whom I had visited New Creation Church with. As both of us were already getting on in years, we prayed and talked about settling down but we had challenges. I did not have much savings and she had a list of her own commitments. But God showed me favour in my work and I received good appraisals. I was even selected to attend upgrading courses. God answered our prayers and we finally got married a few months later. With the little money we had, God had multiplied our loaves and fishes. Till today, I still do not understand the mathematics of heaven. We always have enough to pay our bills. We are expecting our child this year too by being obedient and believing right. Now, I, I, I appreciate your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. But his conclusion is by being obedient and believing right. God is now a friend and no more a disciplined master out to catch me about doing wrong. What I have given up, God has certainly restored 120%. Amen. So, you hear me share testimonies after testimonies, not just and I have another testimony from America, uh, which I don't think I'll be reading for this particular session, but 
you know, you, you, testimonies all over the world is on our website, all right, of lives being transformed. And I encourage pastors and leaders and preachers to not listen to the hages that Satan has put up against grace. Learn to read the Bible for yourself and read it in context. When he says we are no longer under, what does that mean? What does that mean, people? Amen? Now we come back to the question of commandments in the New Testament. Okay, 1 John. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. Next. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. How many, how many want that? Whatever we ask, we receive from God. Okay, uh, Father, mark them, Lord. Uh, how many, how many again? Let me see. Angels, take down notes. Okay. <laughs> whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. Uh, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Stop. If we had stopped there, a lot of people would say, you see, you see, you see, and they'll be, they'll be uh, 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 challenging you on the commands of Moses, what we call the Mosaic commandments, the Ten Commandments. Thank God, God explains it. I said, thank God. It goes on to say, and this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Alright? Now, when did He give us this commandment, our Lord? The last day of the Lord's Supper, uh, before He died, He gave us this new commandment. In fact, in John 13, it tells us this, in John 13, verse 33 and 34, 34 and 35, a new commandment. Say new. new. Now, people, what I understand is new means what? New. You cannot read the Ten Commandments into this. Some people, when they see the, the commandment, they think Jesus is rehashing something. They think Jesus is saying, uh, uh, what the Ten Commandments are saying, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, the question was asked the Lord Jesus one time by the Pharisees. And they were trying to catch Jesus. So they sent a teacher, all right, a, a teacher of the law, all right, a master of the law, went to Jesus and said, Master which is, they're trying to catch him, which is the greatest commandment of all. And the Lord turned to them and says, Hear, O Israel! Who is he addressing? Israel. Strictly speaking, the law was given to Israel. Nonetheless, Jesus answered what they asked. Some people think he was trying to bring up the new commandment. No, it's, it's, it's the Old Testament. This is what they believe. And Jesus answering the question, Hear, O Israel! Shema Israel! Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad. The Lord our God is one God. Echad, Echad is actually united whole. That means plural oneness. Three in one. Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Father, Son, Spirit. Adonai Elohe Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohenu, Adonai Echad. And that's something that Jewish people will, you know, they have to agree. Echad is not another word. If singular unit, one apple, they'll use another word. But if all the apples are in one box and they say one, so I don't, don't misunderstand, there's no three gods. There is the triune God. 
There are no three Joseph twins, but it's a triune. I'm a tripartite. I'm made in God's image. I have a, I'm a spirit. I have a soul. You can't see it. And I live in a body. He answered and said, You shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And the second is like unto it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is the law. And mind you, he was answering them, which is the greatest commandment of the law. Right? Upon this hang all the law and the prophets, the Lord Jesus said. Now, if I was in the time of David, I would do my best to keep that. To love God all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. And even those who advocate that, have you done that? You see, I do my best. My best doesn't cut it when you're under the law. If you steal something from the supermarket here in Singapore, you tell the judge, I did my best not to, st not to steal. He won't judge you based on your heart. He will judge you based on your action. That's the role of the judicial court. Motive. It's subsidiary. It's subservient reason. Character, reference, all subservient to the deed. Thank God, God is not just just, God is love. Can I have a good amen? Yeah. So some people say, well, the new commandment is the same. What, what did Jesus say? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, the, this is the antipodes of the Ten Commandments. It's the opposite. The, the Ten Commandments, the second one is what? There are two tablets, two tables of the law, by the way. Moses came down. Moses is the first time medicine was ever mentioned in the Bible. Moses came down the mountain with two tablets. Oh, Father Brain, you're so corny. You're right. You are so smart. Yep, two tablets. And we still call it tablets today. It's back. Back in vogue, man. Some of you are sitting on there, you're reading your Bible on tablet. It's as old as Moses. And stiff too. Unbending. I prefer a book. Anyway. He came down to two tablets. The first set is God saying, love me. Four commandments of the ten. The second set is love men as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And neighbor that refers to Israel. It's for Israel. Just for Israel. All scholars will agree with this. It's not referring to loving the Ammonite, the Moabite, all right? Loving the, the Philistine. It's referring to love your neighbor, neighbor Israelite. And how do you love him? As the Lord loves you? No. As yourself. Okay? Got it? Are you with me so far? So, first set, first tablet, God is saying, in essence, love me with all you can, with all your heart. Second tablet, love your neighbor as yourself, he told Israel. Now, this new commandment, love one another, it's not love your neighbor. It's not no more Israel. It is all believers. Love one another as I have loved you. So it behooves us to find out how much He loves us. Amen. Or else, how can I love you? If I, I don't know how much He loves me, if I'm not focusing on how much of his, on his love for me, how can I love you? 
Because he, the new commandment is, love one another as I have loved you. So God blessed every ministry that unveils from the pulpit the love of Jesus. They are helping you fulfill the new commandment. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's kind of sad because uh, when you think about what the Lord says that the world will know us by, it's by our love for one another. It's not by our cross that we wear. Nothing, nothing wrong wearing a cross, all right? It's not by the words you speak. It's not by your saying you're a Christian or filling a form saying religion, Christian. It is by our love for one another, isn't it? God doesn't say love one another when you all share the same truths. Just say love one another. It's sad where the body of Christ is today. We should unite around the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, not around our petty differences. By this all will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Now go back to 1 John, okay? Whatever we ask, we receive from Him. We want that because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now again, this Two commandments, so to speak, all right, which is actually, by the way, just let you know that the entire passage here, four commandments, four times the word commandment is mentioned, which I think is an allusion to the first tablet, love me. But let me tell you, show you the difference. It's the opposite of the commands of Moses. I'll show you how it's the opposite, okay? The first one, this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, what is the meaning of believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ? Now, whenever you find this, you find whenever Jesus Christ is mentioned in the context of the gospel, this is the same writer, John, who wrote in his gospel, a new commandment I give unto you. All right, this is the same John that said this, listen, we love because he first loved us. All right, in fact, he went on to explain this chapter three, right? Chapter three, next chapter, chapter four. In chapter four, verse 19, you know what he says? We love because he first loved us. Now, your King James and your New King James put, we love Him. Him is added, all right? But actually, we love Him and we love one another because He first loved us. So it's the opposite. The commands of Moses, and I say Moses, people say, Pastor Prince, it's God's commandments. Yes, but you read carefully, the law was given by Moses. It's almost like God, God almost disassociates Himself in the sense like God is saying, demands is from Moses, Supply is from Jesus, my son. Supply is from me. Are you listening, people? Now, we love because He first loved us. We love because He first, we love God and we love one another because He first loved us. God bless and, and, and supply and anoint every minister, every ministry, every church that preaches and unveils the love of God. The people will end up Loving God. They will end up loving one another. But for the lack of unveiling the love of God. So the first commandment, believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, is actually the opposite of the first tablet. The first tablet says, love me. But the first commandment, believe on the name, is that you must believe God so loved the world, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. Be believe in my love to you. What is the new commandment? All right? Loving one another comes in a while's time, all right? as we see in the Last Supper. But here he's saying, 
believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. God so loved the world, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. To believe on the name of Son, Jesus Christ, is to believe that God loves you. So the law of Moses says what? Love me, God says. But the new commandment says what? Believe in my love for you. Receive it into your heart. And the more you believe it, you're keeping the new commandment. And whatever you ask, God will answer your prayer. Keep yourself in the love of God. Wow. Wow. We think we understand this. I, I tell you, we still don't understand how much God loves us. You know, Justin, I look at my son Justin. He's now three and a half years old. Very adorable boy. Always never failed to amaze me. The things he tells me. You know, I look at him the other day and I think to myself, Justin, do you know how much Abba loves? Do you know who loves you very much? He says, Abba. Then he keeps on playing. I don't know, is it just a statement? Like most of you say, God loves me. Or does he really know how much I love him? I don't think the, the ascending love will ever be greater than the descending love. Let me tell you this. God loves you more than you know. God gave up his son for you, the son that he loved. You know, the value of a thing is always seen by how much you're willing to give up for that thing. You're willing to give up $500 for these clothes, for this object. That means what? You value that object. But then God loves His Son. The Bible says that even Jesus says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life. When He was baptized, God opened the heavens, I love it, I love it. opened the heavens to Him and said, This is my beloved Son, my darling Son. In the original Greek, in home is all my delight. No other man ever had that from God. And this Son, He gave up to save you on that cross. This son, he gave up to cruel beatings and scourgings and by wicked hands. And by the way, he was spat upon. They stripped him of his clothes so that God will clothe you with righteousness. And they put scourges on his back. I was reading the other day and a little word jumped out at me that I never saw before. In Isaiah 52, it says about the sufferings of Jesus. Isaiah 53 talks about all his sufferings, but it actually starts in the last few verses of 52. It says, as many, when they look at Jesus, as many as were astonished at you. They look at him, they're astonished. His visage, his face, his visage was so much more than any man. You know, I never realized there was a little word called soul. I knew that his visage was much more than any man. But the other day I was reading, it says, his visage, which is his face, I'm reading from the old King James, was so much more than any man. And his form, his body, more than the sons of men. Can you imagine how horrible he looked like after the beating and the scourging? It was a grotesque sight. Blood everywhere. It doesn't look human anymore. And all the diseases and all the tumours and all the, the filth of the world, uncleanness, in all its manifestations, even in diseases and all that, on that cross. No wonder his face was so mud. His beautiful face. That face that a woman who walked around for 18 years never see face of any, anyone except for their feet. The first face she saw was Jesus when he healed her. She looked into his eyes. That beautiful face, that woman who was caught in adultery was weeping. And after Jesus 
delivered her from all her accusers. The first face she saw was that beautiful face. And now that face covered with not just spit from all the soldiers. It's a lot of spit. But it was marked beyond recognition. That's the love of God. So before you point fingers at God, stop for a while. You know, and I, I think that when people start asking you questions that are difficult about certain things and all that, just tell them, I'm not here to tell you about morality. Morality is important. When Rome became decadent, Rome fell morally. It became morally decadent, then it fell. So morality is important. But let me tell you this, what's more important, what produces morality is to know the love of God. I tell you this, it's amazing. When you know the love of God, it, it produces love in your heart. You don't need commandments. Even though it's a new commandment, that's why it's a, it's a play on words. It's like a new commandment, yet, you know, you don't even feel it's a commandment. The old commandment tells you do or die. The new commandment says, I know you are hungry. I command you, eat. I know you are tired. I command you, sleep. How hard is it? It's your nature to love. Amen? And then the, go back to 1 John 3. All right? The next one is, and love one another. And we know that this goes back to the Last Supper when He gave us the new commandment, as I have loved you. Okay? Hello? Now, drop down to uh, uh, 1 John 4.10. And this is love. Oh, no, we are about to have a definition of love. Are you all ready? We are about to have a definition of love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, this is the first part of the new commandment. All right? To believe that God loved us. Number two, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Second part of the new commandment. Because God so loved us. We also ought to love one another. Now, church, if you tell me I still believe in keeping the law, then John has done something wrong because John says this is love, not that we love God. Hey, but loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind is the sum total of the law. And now John, boldface, tells us love is not we loving God. Now, muse on that for a while. If you insist that we are still under law, John has done us wrong in teaching this. But no, friend, John is a disciple that leaned on Jesus' breast and heard the heartbeat of heaven. He is the one that says, this is love. It is not we loving God. It is not the law. It is He loved us and sent His Son when no one cared, God cared, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And you know what Jesus did? God could have ripped down, ripped apart all the, the clouds and, and uh, heaven, and God came down with power, you know, rolling up His sleeves, putting on the ritz. Our God is an awesome God, you know, and just bop people on, on the head like in the fun fair. You know, you have all those <laughs> whistles coming out, and you just bop them on the head. You know, God could I just do this, this, this terrorist guy, bah, 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 bah. This guy who used God's name in vain. <laughs> Die and go to hell. God could have done that. 
He has all the power. You know how he saved us? By coming down, down, down. Any more down, he cannot go. Even the death of the cross. And husbands, when God says, love your wives, you know what it means? Go down, humble yourself. I know we've got pride, you know, but that's what it means. That's what love means. We learn love from our Lord. He didn't conquer by using force. He conquered by love. Hmm? Are you listening, people? Now, real quick, I'm going to show you something. In uh, 1 John 3, and this is another misunderstanding people have about uh, the sacrifice um, of Cain. In this, the children of God, still in chapter 3, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness, now stop! Practice righteousness? Wait a minute, I thought righteousness is a gift. Romans 5.17 says righteousness is a gift. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. The Bible says God made Jesus to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. In other words, what? It's a divine transfer. It's a free gift. All right? Romans 5.17 is very clear. The gift of righteousness. But here it says practice righteousness. And, and I want to give you this because in the Old King James and New King James, or Old King James, it says, whoever does not do righteousness. So a lot of people might use this. I've not heard anyone use this, but I'm preparing you before they use it. Okay? I'm going to answer from context. And all those critics out there, I'm answering from context. I pray that you do too. Like that verse just now, all right? Whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Because we keep His commandments, they close the book and say, you see? They don't go on. To show that even those commandments are the opposite of the commandments of Moses. Now, what is practicing righteousness? Keep the whole thing in context. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. This is verse 10, right? Go to verse 11. Next verse. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Why did Cain, the two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, why, why did Cain Mother Abel, question, because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. His works were evil and his brothers righteous. Now, it's not referring to the murder. His works were evil before he murdered. The question is asked, why did he murder him? Because his works were evil. In other words, both came to God. Abel's works was righteous. Cain's works were evil. But what did Cain do? Did Cain commit adultery? Did Cain uh, dishonor Adam and Eve? Did Cain, why, why, what did Cain do? Did Cain steal from, from someone, um, and there's no one else at the time, but from his brother? Amen. Did he steal from his parents? What, what did he do? What did Cain do? That his works were evil. Why did he murder his brother? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. But what did they do? We're talking about works. Righteous works, evil works, practicing righteousness in the context. I'll close with this. We go back to the story long, long time ago. Long before your time. <laughs> in my time. All right? In the Garden of Eden, was a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. You all know this sin. 
Not only they lost. People say, well, well Apostle Prince, just for an apple, you know, uh, uh, God is, you know, they try to always malign God. Let me tell you this. Man, how about this? Man gave God up and everything up for an apple. You know, we always try to, you know, we don't see ourselves. You know how stupid it is? And God was the one that clothed man with coats of skin. God was the first one to kill an animal so that man's sin would be covered. A picture of sacrifice. So they were outside the garden. So they had sons, Cain and Abel. And this is what the Bible says, that in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. If you read the earlier chapter, after they sinned, God said to Adam and Eve, the ground is cursed. Everyone say cursed. cursed. And what did Cain do? He brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Now, let me tell you this, people. God will be unjust if God judges them or whatever based on ignorance, right? You know what I'm saying? But no, faith comes by hearing. Their parents would have told them how after they sinned, God clothed them with animal skins, blood all over. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Adam and Eve told them the ground is cursed. That's why you see thorns everywhere. Originally, there are no thorns. And that's why Jesus wore the crown of thorns to redeem us from the curse. So they knew. And yet, it's almost like, the, uh, you know, I will bring to God the produce of my hands, my, my salad dressing. And there, obviously, there was an altar there. The, the Bible talks about an opening to the presence of God. I got no time to tell you that the last part of the previous chapter says, all right, in your King James, it almost sounds like God brought them out, you know, and there was an, a, a cherubim with salt that turned every other way. Actually, in the Hebrew, the word shakan is there. God dwelt at the entrance of the east of Eden. At the east of Eden, there's an entrance to paradise where they were driven out. God dwelt there, and that's where they brought the sacrifice. And Cain brought the works of his efforts. I want to tell you something, friend. The first mother is about approach to God. The first mother was over approach to God. But don't forget, we, we read Cain's works were evil. Abel's works were righteous. What did Abel do? Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock. What's that? Lamb. And of their fat. To give the fat, that means he must kill the lamb. Blood is shed. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. People, it's only those who have an awesome respect for God's righteousness and holiness. God cannot impugn on sin. God cannot bypass sin. But God can forgive sin. Amen. Through the shedding of blood. Innocent blood means what? Innocent for the guilty. In other words, once blood is shed, you are no more guilty because an innocent dies for you. It is your lamb. It is your offering. It is your presentation. You laid hands on the lamb and now you are the lamb and the lamb is you. And all this, you think it's a real lamb? God is referring to a, a, a lamb with four feet? Come on, that goes Baha? No, God is pointing to the time when John the Baptist was there. Behold, Luke Israel! Behold the Lamb of God, pointing to Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. So there's no blood offering for, no blood being shed 
on Cain's part. And God calls it what? His own works were evil. What is practicing righteousness? The whole context. I'm, I'm preaching in context. Practicing righteousness is putting your trust not in your works, but the blood of Christ. That's practicing righteousness. And, and what produces love? This approach produces love. I, I can't explain to you because it is beyond me to explain this. Those who believe right have love in their heart for people. Those who have this approach where they, they trust their efforts, hate, they have hate in their hearts. And finally, the Bible says, He killed... Now, you know, I want to show you how good God is. You have, you have about 10 minutes more? Just 10 minutes more? Can? Alright, you can go off, okay, if you want. But 10 minutes. Because this is going to bless you. God actually came to Cain, you know, and... and it says, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. You see, God respected Abel and his offering. When you come in the name of Jesus, not only God, because of Jesus, God respects you, but God respects you because you came in the way that He ordained. Shed blood. But He did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, not just angry, very angry, and his countenance fell. Cain trusted his self-righteousness. Abel didn't trust himself. He didn't bring anything of his produce, of his works, of his hands. He brought the lamb. He trusted in the work of another, the death of another, to atone for his sin. Now he came saying, I'm a sinner. I need the blood of the lamb. Whereas Cain says, sinner, I'm not that bad. I'm actually, I'll do my best to improve. God, here's my best, the produce of the ground. Look at this rocket salad. Look, look at this kang kong. You know, look at all this. <laughs> and no blood. And I don't know how God shows His uh, approval. I believe that fire came down and consumed the lamb of Abel. And for, for Cain, maybe a, just a strong, dusty wind blew away all his salad dressing. God did not respect that. See, at the end of the day, it wasn't a sin of morality. It was a sin of approach. So what is practicing righteousness? He was very angry, Cain. His countenance fell. Look at what God said to him. So the Lord said to Cain, you see, people, you don't have to attend a course saying seven steps to hearing God's voice. Even when this man is angry, God talked to him. <laughs> and he knew it was God talking to him. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, what is doing well? What is doing well? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, what is not doing well? Sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should, rule, you should rule over it. Now look at this. This is the old King James. Sorry, the King James. New King James. And it says like this. If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, if you offer well. In the Septuagint, it says clearly, you, if you offer well, will you not be accepted? It's about right believing people. If you believe the blood of Jesus, it's the only way your sins can be forgiven and you put your trust that His blood has been shed, you are forgiven. God says you are doing well. You are practicing righteousness. But if you trust the efforts of your hands, your own self-righteousness, God says what? You are not doing well. You get what I'm saying? It's got nothing to do with morality here. Morality is important, but it's not in this context. Alright? Now, if you... God says, if you don't do well, sin lies at the door. What is that sin lies at the door? The word there is like a personification of an animal lying at the door near the tabernacle where God's presence is 
And I believe there was a tabernacle there. All right, I'm not going to go near that. Last it, at the gate of Eden, the presence of God was there and they brought their offering to the gate, to the temple. And God is saying to, to Cain, hey Cain, I know you are displeased, but look, sin is crouching at the door. It's lying at the door like an animal. Now the Hebrew word, crouching is male form. The animal is female form which actually the word qatar can mean sin, can also mean sin offering. You know what God did for Cain? God brought a lamb all the way to the door of Cain. God is saying, look Cain, there's a sin offering lying at the door. Its desire is for you, it wants to be sacrificed and you will rule over it. You won't run away. It's crouching at the door. Young's literal translation. Young's is a Hebrew scholar. By no means standard. I mean, he's really an awesome uh, Hebrew scholar. And that's why his, his Bible is not easy reading, all right? Because he translates literally and the grammar is not so flowing. But I like Young's because he brings out some of the Hebrew in a way. Let me show you what Young says. This is from my Young's Bible. Look at verse 7. Verse 6, Jehovah said unto Cain, Why hast thou displeasure? Why hast thy countenance fallen? Is there not, verse 7, if thou dost well, acceptance. And if thou dost not well, at the opening, at the door, a sin offering is crouching. And unto thee its desire, and thou rulest over it. Look up here, people. God, you know, we say that, oh, you know, God makes things so hard for people. Is it really hard? Is it really hard to be safe? God has brought it right to your mouth. The word of faith is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is your Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Yeah. It is near, the word of faith is near you, near you, near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. The blood, the sweat, the tears, the pain has all been done by Him at the cross. For you, it is so near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. All those who reject Jesus when it's so near their mouth and hearts, can you understand that the Bible says there is no forgiveness? This is eternal condemnation. They're already under condemnation, but they slapped God's hand and said, I don't need your sacrifice. Hey, I'm pretty good. That's Cain's approach. And there are people who say, you know, this is slaughterhouse religion. They call the preaching of the blood slaughterhouse religion. Isn't it amazing? You know, this Cain... His way of worship, he's, he's too refined to kill a lamb, but he's not too cultured to murder his brother. Go back to the story, we close. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. It came to pass when they were in the field. Jewish people say that the word talk here, even though it's the word talk in Amar in Hebrew, it actually has the idea of quarreling. And came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Okay? So look up here, people. What is practicing righteousness? It's not to trust your own efforts, 
but to trust His grace, His love for you. And the end result is that believing right, you will end up loving. And if you trust your own efforts, your own approach to God, your own produce, your own you know, uh, accomplishment, even though morally people see that you have, you have, not, you have, you have not lied outwardly, you have not uh, slept with a woman outwardly, you have not murdered outwardly, you seem okay and you are very, very feeling very smug, you know, God owes me heaven. What is the result when you find that God favours people like us? <laughs> we trust His grace. You get bitter. You get angry. You get jealous. Look at the result of believing your efforts. It produces the opposite of believing that God loves you. His love. And that's why John, who wrote all this, remembered when he was a young teenager, leaning on Jesus' bosom, not trusting His love for the Lord, but resting in the Lord's love for him. He was the only one standing at the foot of the cross. All the disciples fled. There was one though, one who boasted of his love. His name was Peter. Peter says, if all the other disciples forsake you, Lord, I will never forsake you. And where you go, I'll follow, I'll follow. You will always be my true love. My true love. Hey, you can scream at such bad singing or something's wrong with you. I can sing better, actually. <laughs> he boasted of his love for the Lord. John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loves. Doesn't have very reverend, most honorable, and all the kind of title. He just said, you want to call me a, give me a title? Call me the disciple whom Jesus loves. He was keeping the new commandment. And guess what? John was the one at the foot of the cross that was able to give, serve the Lord in his dying moments. John, Master, behold, your mother. He adopted Mary as his mother. He says, woman, behold, your son. He was able to give the Lord some comfort and relief in his dying moments. Want to be used by God? You know, those, there are five times that phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loves, this is another sermon, okay? I won't, I won't uh, go into it. Five times that phrase is used. And every time it's used, you find John loving Jesus. It's amazing. The more conscious you are seeing yourself as the Christian, as the believer whom Jesus loves, as the one Jesus loves, you love him most. And John wasn't conscious he was loving the Lord most. No wonder First John is so full of beloved, 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 beloved. Beloved, you read that just now, right? Beloved. And beloved is agapitos. Agapitos. You know what's agapitos? He's saying, you love ones. Listen, you love ones. If our heart condemns us, you love ones. Behold what manner of love the Father. You loved ones. We need to always remind one another that we are loved. Remind our children that they are loved. And husbands, be patient with your wife. When the Bible says, husbands, love your wife, it sounds so romantic. We think, love, yeah, baby, I love you, baby. And our thoughts are a different kind of love, you know what I'm saying? You're not the kind of love. How about this definition of love? The first definition, or rather the first characteristic, love suffers long and is kind. So husband, love your wife. How about this? Husbands, suffer long <laughs> with your wife. Are you married? 
and be kind. That means that there must be a reason why you're suffering long. I'll close with that. My time is up. Give him praise. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We love because He first loved us. Amen, church? Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed all across this place. If you are that person, my friend, you've been trusting your own efforts, your own morality, doing your best and hoping that one day you'll make it. Heaven will be your home. Your sins will be forgiven. My friend, there's no other way. That's why God sent His Son. God loved you so much. God sent His Son to die for your sins on that cross. He sent you His Son because He knew you would not care. You, you don't even know that you are lost. And He knew that without His Son, without a sacrifice, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God wasn't willing to have heaven without you. So God gave up His Son. God sent His Son to die for your sins on that cross. And something happened on that cross in a way that no man can ever fully explain. A divine transaction took place. God took all the world's sins and God put it on this just one. All the sins of sinners and the unjust and the wicked and the ungodly God took them all and God put it on this Holy One, the Son of God, the Royal Son of David, this mighty King who used His kingly words to cleanse the leper and stop deaf ears, raise the dead. God put all our sins on Him. And God judged Him in our place. God punished Him in our stead. The Bible says He became a curse and sometimes we use the word Christ died on the accursed, accursed tree but He didn't die. It wasn't the tree that was cursed, friend. The Bible says He became a curse. Not the tree, He became a curse so that you might be blessed. If you say, Pastor, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, believe that Without Him, look outside yourself. Look away from self. Look away from your efforts, your morality, your good character, good family name. Look away! None of that can save you. To Christ alone, is shed blood and say, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If that is you, I want to help you in prayer right now. Pray this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for all my sins. I thank you, Father, that He died in my place, suffered my judgment and all my condemnation. And in His place, risen, seated with Christ, I am blessed forever, righteous in Him, holy and blameless, blessed with every blessing, greatly and highly favoured. Jesus Christ, is my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Once you pray that prayer, friend, you are now a child of God. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Stand to your feet. Let me bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Father in heaven, 
in the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask for you to send a strong wind throughout this week, Father, that will drive away the haze from Singapore. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Amen and Amen and Amen. And Father in heaven, you've gone ahead of this week, Father. You said that the God of Israel shall go before you and He will also be your real God. I thank you, Father in heaven, that from the beginning of this week to the end, you'll go before us into this week and you'll also be our real God. We are protected all around, Father. The Lord bless you and your families. The Lord bless you and your children. The Lord bless you, the blessings of Abraham. And the Lord keep you, preserve you and protect you from all harm from every infection, from every disease, from adversity, from tragedies, from all evil, from all the powers of darkness, from the power of the evil one. The Lord protect you from all the harmful effects of the haze throughout this week. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father, that the favour of God is on all your people and love fills their heart for you and for one another. And Father in heaven, as we step out into this world, Lord, we thank you, Father God. We step out as people who are loved, dearly loved, agapitos, beloved of you, Lord. Thank you, Father in heaven. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask and we thank you. It's done. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Pastor Joseph Prince, and we trust that you've been blessed. For more information on our messages, books, and videos, do visit our website at josephprince.com. Register today and receive a complimentary MP3 message. You'll also receive an exclusive Meditate and Believe Right daily email by Joseph Prince. Be greatly blessed, highly favored, and deeply loved.